Recorded live. Scuba Obsessed is the weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba in the news. Scoob Obsessed episode 185 is recorded live January 9th, 2014. Welcome back to Scoob Obsessed from the trailing edge of the swirling Arctic vortex. Here in Michigan, I'm Darren Jilson. Joining me this week, we have Mac the Dive Mentor. How you doing today, Mac? I'm here and I'm warm. <laughs> You're warm. Arctic vortex. Now, I don't know if I've heard that term in all the years of living in Michigan. Is that like an, something new they came up with to make it more exciting? I just remember that movie from a couple of years ago where they talked about the convergence of these atmospheric disturbances that brought in the coldness from space down to Earth. I can't think of the name of that movie, but I've heard the term in that, the vortex. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think somebody gets a little marketing. It's kind of like, was it three Pete and four Pete, where somebody gets paid? There's somebody's getting a commission on Arctic Vortex. Wish it were me. <laughs> and then absent this week, we have Jim, who's still down someplace south. I've, I've heard rumors he might not ever come back. Nah, he'll be back. His wife's up here. His boat's up here. He's got to come back, at least to pick those up. Oh, you mean his wife didn't go down with him? Uh, he, he changed the time frame. So instead of going on for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, just a couple of weeks. Ah. But he did get wet down there. He went diving on a military tank out there. Ah, cool. Well, we got look forward to hearing him talk about that. The part I like about that is it had four foot visibility. <laughs> oh. I got better vis than that in the river. Oh, that's terrible. What's up with that? Four foot vis. Bad day to dive. Oh, if there is such thing not, as a bad day to dive. I was going to say, not an optimum visibility day. Well, let's go ahead and uh, start. Not really a, a news story yet. I thought we'd have a, a link to an article, any of the articles that we could have linked to. It's it's a little weak. But here in our own backyard, it seems like it's come up again. And that is the local county is trying to pass an ordinance to prevent diving off the pier. So what can you tell us about that, Mac? Well, it's a combination of jumping, diving, being pushed, uh off the pier in St. Joe, they basically were going to make it a citable offense. First offense is $250. And the idea was not for scuba divers. It was for the kids who like to go out in the summer and jump off the pier. There's uh, probably three different areas where they get out and have a good time. And when it's a flat, calm day out there, uh, I see absolutely no problem with it. I go out and watch the kids. And, in fact, I have participated in such activities. Now, uh, there is no hassle. It's as safe as the people on the beach swimming with so, guards and flags telling them, oh, my God, whatever. So when you um, say diving, you're referring to, so the people who don't know about St. Joe, Michigan, we've got a Army Corps of Engineered rebuilt pier. Uh, you, you've probably seen photos of it. It's a, it's a picturesque pier. Uh, it's got the raised catwalk that was used when they used to have to manually uh, run the lighthouse. If they go to the Facebook site today, uh, ours, the club, mm-hmm. uh, you'll find pictures of the North Tower, South Tower, meaning the lighthouse, and a overview view of the river and the piers. Yeah. 
So, so the I North Pier is is the one with the catwalk, and that's a little yes. bit more, I would call it industrial or rustic. And then the South Pier has got rails, and it's a little bit more finished till about halfway out, and then it goes down to a, a more of a industrial type of pier. Uh, and and the last time they redid this, which was was it in the '90s, where they they redid the seawall and and stuff like that. They're always maintaining it, so I really couldn't tell you the year, but I think in the late 90s, I remember they went through and did a little upkeep on some of the, the pilings and the painting. Yeah, they, they kind of smoothed it. They tried to make it, by no means is it meant to be clean if, you, if you're or safe. You know, there's sharp edges on it. The steel's been cut with a plasma cutter, so there's jagged edges, and they've thrown some paint on it. So if you're out there with boots and you're, Fishing, that's fine, which people have been doing for years off the pier. Uh, you know, flip-flops and running, you're, you're probably going to stub your toe and have a pretty good cut. Uh, I don't know, what, what do they call that steel? It's kind of, uh, reminds me of like steel siding, except for the stuff's a lot thicker. But it's, it's Yeah, it's about an inch thick, yeah. maybe a little more. And again, I can't think of the exact name of it myself. But frequently, I would say from the edge of the pier to the water, there's spots of it. Uh, out towards Lake Michigan, it's, it's not quite as far of a drop because the pier lowers down a little bit. So that's probably, what, two or three feet to the water? Yes, yeah. Yeah, and then as you get uh, more upstream, uh, about where the it starts to come out there by the dunes, there's some spots where that's 10 or 15 feet. I'd say at least 10 feet, yeah. Yeah, because uh, I know I've done a giant stride in both places, and that's about enough to strip your, <laughs> your gear off. Yeah, especially if you have your BC inflated, that'll hurt. Yeah. So their intent is to, because they've had, what they say, eight lives that have been lost on the pier over the last yeah, 10 over years? 20 odd years. 20 years. Yes, over 20 years. Now, is that including is that including all deaths that have happened on the pier? Yeah, because I, when I, I got a chance to go to the meeting today and, and put in my two cents, and uh, I mentioned that of the eight people that went in and drowned, how many were under the influence of drugs and alcohol, and how many went in in inclement weather, meaning yeah. not typical of the kids swimming in the summer. And when you do that, you get rid of half of them right off the bat. Yeah, and well, I said, that doesn't include the lady that left and because she was tweeting or thumbing on her little phone and walked off the pier because she wasn't paying attention where she was at and almost drowned. Yeah. And the two people who went after her. Yeah. Well, so, and, and, yeah, I can really see that a bill on an ordinance costing you $250 is really going to stop that. Ain't going to happen. No, I, I think... Honestly, what I think it comes down to is somebody got on officers or people working down there at the beach, because I know that uh, the county has the park that runs adjacent to the South Pier. And people have probably asked, well, why don't you do anything when you see them jumping off? They say, well, it's not illegal. I can't tell them to stop. Well, actually, it is illegal from the aspect that it's a government pier, which has an ordinance, not an ordinance. The law says no jumping or diving off of their property. No one's there to enforce that aspect. So why couldn't they just enforce that if they were so concerned? It's not even necessary. Well, it sounds like they wanted the, they wanted the money. Uh, let's let's take an example because they have this now in uh, South Haven that started in also 2008. Only there has passed, and it's one of those feel goods. If it saves only one life, it's worth it. Which is a very poor argument because that is absolutely not true. Not when you start going down to dollars and cents, and we won't get into that because then they sound like a meeting. Mm-hmm. which I sometimes can be, but it's not. It's not after that at all. It's control of the people. They want to provide you with safety. They're a nanny state. 
My point today, I asked them, I understand where you're coming from, and I am all for putting out life preservers and throw buoys on the piers. Absolutely. I mean, that, that that's a no-brainer, you know. That's something positive, that if there's a problem, you've got something you can do. My understanding, in the last two years, they have lost 52 of the floats and the buoys. They keep getting stolen. I thought, that was interesting. You're going to cite these kids for jumping in at $250, yet you can't even contain. I mean, the people are breaking the law when they steal the floats, if I thought. But I'm yeah. enforce those laws first. Certainly. And yeah. you, you saw that big happening up in South, I think it was South Haven again, uh, or one of our local beaches. Guys went out there in rip currents in six-foot wave actions. They had the flags up that told the, the velocity of the winds, no swimming allowed. They went out there, swam, two of them drowned, the family sued, and freaking won. How'd they win? I have no, it was always, it was contributory negligence. And it's like, I, I just don't understand it. You got freaking signs that say rip current. You got flags up that says don't swim. And you can if you want. I mean, who's going to stop you? But how you can come back and sue the county saying they didn't do enough to tell me I shouldn't swim in, in, in bad water. It's like, Darwin should have been allowed to take over. And obviously he did. But that's where I see it coming from. My, my question to them was, tell me how many people died on Silver Beach and Tuscornia Beach in the same period where you had the flags, where you had the lifeguards, and you had control. Well, actually, when you find out more people died on the freaking beaches control than diving off the piers. So it would be interesting to see where they go with it again. Now, they did do bring... one thing, though, by the way. What's in, that? In, in the new one, they did. I got a copy of it when I got there. It worded pretty much like the last one, except they added line 2B or something that excluded scuba divers. Because when I wrote my notes last year, I said, you didn't even include us. You know, we can't get out there and do it. So they did add that as a pacifier to some of us, I think. Well, I think they were hoping that by putting that in, you wouldn't show up. <laughs> and I shut up this year. No, I didn't. Yeah. Yeah, one now you showed up and you ruined it. <laughs> well, one of the guys who came with was, I'm glad he did. Because he was, he thought I went first, you know, set the, set the stage. And he was asking, you know, have you guys ever heard of the triathlon? Nobody, you know, most of them, yeah. You know where it starts at? Nobody raised a hand. He said, it starts at the end of the pier. We've been doing this for years. Well, if they do that, then you just screwed the aquathon. Or the, uh, <laughs> so you're talking about the steelheader triathlon. And, said, and then he said, do, do you guys know the St. Joe's swim team? And they do a swim every year from point A to point B. You know where point A is? It's off the piers. We've been doing this for years. We've never had a drowning, never had a problem, never had an accident, and you want us to stop because of why? And it went from there. So I don't think they particularly like the people talking, but they all basically had the same comment as, you know, we're old enough. It's not a nanny state yet. We don't need the law or the, more, the um, ordinance. Okay, so if we take eight of those deaths and you cut them in four and say those are about the only ones that are from fair weather diving now, like you said, were, were they alcohol-related, or did they know? Uh, well, it's a little hazy, but one, I remember several of them. One was suicidal, and he just happened to fall off the pier or jump. Yeah, you can't stop yeah, that. I mean, yeah, he's going to pay attention to an ordinance, and he's going to commit suicide. Uh, the other guy brought up, you're going to have all these controls. He said, but by the way, if I go 100 foot past the river entry of the dock of the pier, I can jump in there and swim across to the Coast Guard station. Is that more hazardous than where we're jumping? 
which of course it is. And then he, then I got out and said, don't stop talking about diving in the river because, you know, we do that all the time. And he said, and if they want to swim in the river, nobody says anything. <laughs> uh, it was, it was interesting. And everybody who spoke had, uh, the same comment. Why are you doing this again? And it is not necessary. And everybody was definitely for, Hey, you want to put the buoys and life rings? Go for it. We're all for it. Yeah. Well, and I, and I'm a big proponent of the life rings. They do save lives. Too. But they oh, are very right. difficult to keep stocked. Yeah, but there shouldn't be. There, there should not be. Yeah. Well, here, here's here's something that happened. My my brother-in-law drowned. His car went into the river, and he was alive for about four minutes on the top of his truck before before he finally went under the water for the last time. And uh, they had after that they had talked about that spot of the St. Joe River of putting buoys, and they they just said that they've tried and they just can't keep them in. People steal them. And that's against the law, I think, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's against the law to steal. An ordinance is going to make everything right. So they should make an ordinance not to take the buoys. Yeah. It was interesting because then they were talking about one guy wanted to know, how would they enforce that? Well, the officer has to observe the individual jumping to be able to fight them. So that meant you're going to have and pay an officer of the law to be down there. They said, well, what we can also do then is anybody who's an officer in any police force, department, or authorized individual by us, can be down there and do citations, even if they're from out of state. And it's like, excuse me? What, an out-of-state officer? He's an officer, and he can write a citation. They'll give them anybody who's an officer of any law enforcement agent can be authorized to write you a citation if he observes you jumping in the water off the pier. Now, is that something that they were just making up right then, or they say is that in general? No, the, 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 the individual who wrote the ordinance was then explaining how we could go a little further. Oh. That was one of the... Somebody asked, how do we enforce it? And then, then the lady who was helping formulate the, the wording uh, gave a suggestion that we should incorporate, or they should incorporate, all of the area up from South Haven down through past New Buffalo. So no jumping off your boat into the water? or Well, you have to be at least 50 foot from the pier. So one of the guys would know, well, if I have my boat out there and I'm jumping off my boat and I come within 49 feet of the water, how do you know? Somebody's got a laser gun and he's on the pier docking it and he's got the laser on me. He tells me I'm 49 feet in, so the police going to cite me. It, it was interesting. Well, you know, uh, the, if that law had passed, the uh, Marine the, Patrol yeah. for the county would have spent all summer trying to write tickets for that. And, and uh, one of the comments that came out, the um, the, cap, the major, I, I'm not sure what his rank really is, uh, in the sheriff division was there. He said nothing. He just sat over there and minded his own business. Uh, waiting to be called upon, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. But, and he, he's a good guy. I've worked with him on, on, when I was on the posse. Right, um, and he's the same one we sort of worked with during that drowning. Yeah, yeah. But one of the items is uh, I looked at the interviews tonight after we got out of that and after the meetings they interviewed one of the guys. And this comment was basically looking after the welfare and safety of the population of people. The kids jumping out there, they're jumping on rocks. And it's like, I wish I'd have been there because it's like, Show me one instance where anybody jumped in and injured themselves on the rocks. They're supposed to be down there hurting them, but they had to have medical attention. I had never seen anyone hit the rocks. I'm scared sometime where a few of them really gets a little Darwin jumping. Mm -hmm. But in the three areas they, they more than likely frequent, there is no hazards. I mean, obviously, other than the water. But the kids are smart enough to jump in by the freaking ladders, and that's the area that's pretty much clean. I go out there on my metal detector, and that's where I collect my 
my trinkets that those kids were. Maybe fine. So you got an ulterior motive. You're 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 uh, hoping that they drop more stuff in the river. Yeah, but two two specific areas. There is no hazard from underwater obstacles as long as they stay in that area. And all they got to do is put signs if they want to say danger, diving and jumping off the pier is hazardous to your health, and put little marks on there say, hey, between this point there is no rocks. But if you go anywhere else, but then again, if you do that, then you're contributing to the issue. Yeah, I don't think they want to say where there's rocks or not because somebody's going to come back in. I just think they say, hey, we don't right. recommend it, and that's it. Yep. And then the other guy said, are you going to put buoys 50 feet from the, the, the pier all the way down so we'll know what the no-go area is? And, of course, the fishermen will like that, not, because yeah. I'm quite sure they cast a little further than the 50 foot out. So I can see them get caught up on the buoys, which wouldn't be bad for us, of course. We could harvest lures a lot better that way. Yeah. Well, I, I, I noticed that none of the news outlets had had a update since you went to your meeting. It sounded like they were supposed to vote on it yet that day, but it doesn't seem like we've heard anything. So I'm guessing it must have been tabled. I would be curious to see what comes out of it and if they did discuss it, when. Because I went at, I went early to the meeting. The meeting had already started. And I thought, well, darn, if I'd have known it was going to start before they told me in the paper, I'd have been there earlier. Then they finished part of their work, and the guy wanted to shift into, since we have so many people here, let's go ahead and talk about the ordinance. Then the keeper of the time clock says, well, we really can't do that because we put in the paper, we would discuss that at quarter till. So I continued business till quarter time, quarter till on the mat, on the clock, then discussed it. Well, that was nice that they stuck to their time. I had loved to have uh, been there for the, after the public meeting to hear what went on. Yeah, I'll have to, I'll have to do a little research to uh, find out. I've got, contacts but i'm sure they don't want to go and fill me in but well let's uh cover something else gosh we we burned quite a bit of time up on that but i think it's valid and it just goes to show that you need to be involved because if nobody had shown up for that what do you think the outcome would have been oh it would have been a no-brainer yeah they'd have voted for it yeah because they were not even concerned with posting it and they wanted to go well if i'm from out of state which you have a lot of and i did not know this ordinance existed because you don't have any signs up and I jumped off and I was cited. It's like, is that fair to the people coming up here who have no clue? And of course it's, well, ignorance of the law is no excuse. Give me a break. Yeah, yeah great for a tourism community. Yeah. <laughs> but fishery officials are shutting down commercial divers. They are. This is up in Maine. And some of the numbers I thought was a little bit surprising. And this is an article from the perspective of a commercial diver. He's been a commercial diver. I'm trying to see if he says when he started. Uh, he, he mentions that in the late 1990s, he uh, was diving for soft-shelled clams. Uh, oh, I see, I see what it is. So he's he's been a diver for more than 23 years. He's dove commercially for urchin, sea scallops, clam, periwinkles, mussels, lobsters, and logs. He was by trade an urchin diver, but he said with the mismanagement of the urchin fishery by the Maine Department of Marine Resources, and when he says mismanagement, he says they didn't try and protect them until... They were completely overfished. Uh, he then had to try new uh, outlets for his diving skills. So what happened is once the fishery had died down, they made it illegal to harvest. And then in the 90s, uh, so then after that, the, he started going into different uh, soft-shell clams. says uh, it was very hard to go and do diving for that. He said even, uh, he, he said once they got to the point where they were getting about two bushels a day, the shore diggers got jealous and the DMR, closed the fishery down for scuba divers once again. Uh, 
then in early 2000, they started uh, diver scuba divers started harvesting periwinkles. You had to invest more than $2,000 in equipment, which was dredges. After a long learning curve, they started to be able to, to harvest about 500 to 1,000 pounds a day. And then the hand harvesters got upset, and then they closed that down for divers. And he pointed out that even though boats and under certain conditions, uh, under certain restrictions, are able to drag for periwinkles. And then uh, in the 2000s, they asked if they could dive non-commercially and commercially for lobsters. Uh, non-commercially, they were allowed to harvest. He was they were proposing to harvest 25 lobsters a day, and commercially, they were asked uh, they were asking to harvest 100 pounds a day. And they said at, at those numbers, it would be bare minimum of a day's pay after expenses. Uh, the concern was from many people was that it would take away from the lobster traps, and uh, the DMR turned it down. They Isn't said that, that competition. Yeah, well, that's what it is. It's just everybody's because there's less scuba divers. It's easier to pick on them. They yeah. said even though boats can land 400 pounds or more of lobsters a day, and they said it's not unheard of for one boat to land several thousand pounds a day in August or September. He said even one boat recently was known to have brought 14,000 pounds in a single day's hauling. And so he said, and his his complaint is that the fishery is saying that. A few off-season divers, he says, which currently there's about 160, with record landings, would never be able to dent what one boat could do. Sounds like sour grapes. Yep. Yep, the scallops and urchin fisheries have limited entries and no new licenses uh, for draggers or divers have been added for years. Yeah. So, and he, and he goes on and on showing point after point of how the DMR is, is going out and restricting what divers are being able to pull to uh, harvest. He says at one point, let me see if they have the numbers here, there was 950 divers, 950 tenders, and 450 callers. So that means you had a diver, you had a tender who's who's managing a diver, and then 450 people who were helping secure the harvest once it got up. So about 2,350 workers were making a living off scuba diving for uh, different clams and mussels. And then he says, currently today in the state of Maine, there's 167 divers who are licensed according to the DMR. So I thought that was an interesting article from perspective of a commercial diver. Yeah. Well, that goes down to your next one too, though, doesn't it? Well, this one's in Florida. This is DEMA, and the scuba diving industry is supporting a more, maintaining a moratorium on hunting Goliath grouper. If I can get this freaking ad away from here. God darn it. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to. It's like my complaint every week. It's that same company. It's like every time you hit one of their websites, they do that. Well, I don't seem to have the issue. I can talk about it a little bit. Well, I've got it to come back up. But what it is is they is they throw a pop up, and then the pop up won't go away, no matter which X you click. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Um. And and what what had happened here is DEMA, which is a diving equipment and marketing association. Who say they're a nonprofit trade or, trade organization representing the scuba diving and snorkeling industry? From their members, they had requested comments on whether the moratorium should continue. So they had a survey that they sent out, and they got answers back. And a lot of their answer came back based on the opinions of the dive centers. So 49% of the dive centers favor continuing protection. Only 25% of the dive centers indicated that allowing the harvest of Goliath grouper would help their their business. Now, are we talking spear fishing by divers or people fishing, period? I'm, I get the impression we're talking spear fishing. I'm going to guess it's spear fishing because 
if you're just a regular charter fisherman, you're probably not a member of DEMA, and you probably wouldn't have gotten the survey. So it was DEMA members who got the survey. So they were just pretty much asking, were you, would you make more money from having the ban lifted or not? And only 25% of the dive centers said that allowing to harvest would have increased their business. So based on that information is how DEMA came up with their answer. Well, you would think that Florida Fish and Wildlife Commission would have a better handle on the population of that particular fish and the reason for its increase or decrease and independently make the determination based on those factors as opposed to asking dive shops. Well, and that's what they're supposed to do. That's what the, the fisheries are supposed to do is monitor the fish and then determine how much can be taken and how do you get that amount that can be taken against the whole population. And you do that by limiting seasons, by having non-fishing areas, by limiting the ways and methods which you can take the fish. So that should all be based on collection surveys done not of people but of the fish themselves. Where are the fish? Are there that many? And do they need to be protected in some form? And we've done that in Michigan with both fish and with, you know, deer and other game animals. And that seems to be the way to do it. You know, a, a, a popular consensus is, is not going to get you anything. So, but that's that's what DEMA did. DEMA pulled their members. The members said, yeah, we don't, and essentially it was kind of wishy-washy. 49% of dive centers were in favor of continuing protection. Wouldn't that mean that 51 were against it? Yeah. So they really didn't even, I, I was almost to say they filed their members, but they didn't. Because 51 said, yeah, well, they don't need protection anymore. Well, the major item for the diving industry is, if you're a diver and you get to see those big guys who are sort of lumbering along, it's awesome. And they figure the more awesome fish you got out there, the more people will want to go down and eyeball them before I can make more money if there's more fish. Yeah. yeah. And we could go on a whole discussion on fishery management because do you necessarily reduce the number of fish by harvesting fish? When, when you've got a population of 7 billion people eating stuff out of the ocean, and you increase that to 8 billion and 9 billion, I think the stocking of the fish is going to go down. That's not rocket science. The problem is not the fish, it's there's too many people. <laughs> well, you've got that, but then you've got other forms, you know, kind of like back on Maine uh, where they're talking about the fisheries. Individuals hand harvesting is not anywhere near to these factory fish, that, the factory uh, fishing trawlers that they allow to go out there. Absolutely. Where, where they they have a spread of Gosh, I don't even know how, how wide it is, what, 70 to 100 feet, and they're dropping these trawlers, which are basically like big bulldozers. Yeah, if, just... if you went back to mom-and-pop fishing, you would not have the overfished oceans. Yeah. But fish prices would go sky high probably. Yeah, and you just then it just makes it all that much more special when you go out and get your fishing license and catch a few. Of course, that's unfair if you live anywhere but within 50 miles of the ocean, they'll say. Well, it also would create uh, opportunities for Fish farms, something yep. I, I continually look into doing myself. But at this point, you can't make any money at it. Yeah. Okay, let's see if we can get something. Gosh, these first few are just dragging us down. Now we have sharks don't deter divers. Uh, one of Perth's biggest diving schools is, is trying to dispel uh, suggestions that uh, business is suffering because of shark attacks. And I thought this is more telling not because of the shark attacks, because I don't, I don't think that shark attacks keep people out of the water. I don't believe that in Australia they have that many attacks. And I don't believe that they're they're harvesting the sharks 
to save scuba divers, I think it's more for the swimmers. Yeah. Because every year they've got a few people who, they've, they've had a few deaths this last year, and you always have people who get bit. And it's just because you have a lot of coastline, you have a lot of people in the water, and if you're a shark, it's, you know, there's opportunity for food there, and you, not that they're going after humans, but it, occasionally it's going to happen. But what I thought was more telling about the articles, they had, they said that the, this last year, and specifically November, December, was the busiest two months they've had in their 10-year history. They had trained 234 divers. And is scuba diving doing that much better with diving than we are up here? Can you say warm water? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess it is warm, but. Well, again, look around. Florida, California, Texas. But but even the, the dive shop owners I know down there, none of them are going, oh, we're in scuba diving heydays. They have a lot of people coming into the sport. Well, that's true. I mean, the population, you know that uh, Florida has taken over from New York, right, As uh, for population. Did you read that? No, I didn't, but it, I'm not surprised. And you take a look, though, at the people going down there, and you're talking uh, rest home city. Yeah. I don't think the majority of those people migrating down that way are the divers. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, I mean, but the only time you have young people down there is spring break. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's a spring break thing, which they pass all the laws they can to keep spring breakers out of there. And then once part of the state actually gets the laws that work to keep the kids out, they then whine that they don't have any tourism. <laughs> what can I say? Yeah. But, yeah, uh, I thought, but that's what I got out of that was the, I know they're trying to make a point that, because this is part of a, a bigger press event that's happening down there, which is they've been harvesting sharks as a way of reducing the uh, number of shark attacks. And people are starting to protest that. But the fact that they're saying that scuba diving is growing, I'd like to get some more numbers. Now, if that, that hasn't scared you out of the water, then, uh, or if it did, you even got the Monterey Bay Aquarium is looking for volunteers to dive with their sharks. And do a little window washing, too. Yeah. Now, they have a 350,000-gallon tank containing seven-gill sharks and 200-pound giant sea bass. They have 100 volunteer scuba divers who uh, will help them with the exhibit, which includes feeding the animals, cleaning the windows, and giving marine biology lessons to visitors. And they use a specially designed mast hooked up to the aquarium speakers. The volunteer diver program supplements 50 divers who are on staff, and they started it since the aquarium opened in 1984. They said it's become so popular that divers lucky enough to get a spot in the roster keep it for decades. They said the wait to become a diver can be several years. That's outstanding when you have that much interest and support yeah. because you could not do it without that hundred volunteers. Oh, yeah, and that so that adds a lot of quality. How much money is that? Well, how much that would that be as far as if they had to pay a hundred more people? Yeah, it's, it's got to be they can have it and do that because of they've got that many people investing free time, which would have cost them money to do the same maintenance and feeding and instructional activities. That's outstanding. They can maintain that. Well, what they if they didn't have those volunteers, what it means is that they would have to do less. You wouldn't have people in the tank showing off. You might not feed. I mean, I don't believe that you need to have a scuba diver to be able to feed the sharks. I mean, you could do that from surface, and then you maybe you don't have as many uh, windows into the tank. So it, it's certainly worth the volunteers. And it's a, it's a unique experience, I'm sure, to be able to go in the tank and do it. What surprised me was the amount of commitment it was. You have to pass a rigorous physical, and you commit to volunteering two days a week for a year and live within a 45-minute drive of the aquarium. 
and I believe that's more than a lot of the uh, uh, aquariums in that we've got in the call in the east part of the country. I think they're two days a month is what your commitment. Yeah. Because if we had one close by, I could probably do two days a month, but I couldn't do two days a week. No, most people have trouble doing one day a week. Yeah. yeah. Because that's not that's that's a second job. That is. Because you're talking, it didn't say half days, it said days. That's 16 hours. If you worked five days, there goes your weekend. Or if you have a job that enables you to work Monday through Friday and have your weekend working, that's a hell of a commitment. They have to they have to complete an aquarium training course, which includes animal husbandry, aquatic full mass skills, and animal disease training. I would love to know the jobs these people have that allow them to do that. Well, considering that they're in California, you got to figure there's probably actors, waiters, busboys. Isn't that what everybody in California is? <laughs> Potential stars. Oh, Every... well, they, well, they they do have Silicon Valley, but I'm I'm pretty sure none of those guys are taking time off their 70-hour work weeks to go and do that. But that also, they have 37 photos, and I haven't gone through all of them, but um, the article's quite in-depth, and that was from the San Francisco Gate, sfgate.com. And then if you don't know how to dive and you're a recovering addict, there's a charity that will help you. Charity's been helping drug addicts in recovery by teaching them the scuba dive. And when I when I heard this, I was thinking, isn't that like giving uh, cocaine to a crack person? Teaching them the scuba dive because they have to well, say it's in another addiction is what you're saying. Yeah, just you're you're moving one addiction to another. Now scuba diving is a much better addiction, but still an addiction. Even though I think most of us would prefer to see people off of drugs and into awesome. something like scuba. Yeah, I definitely but would. Want some more drugs in your system? I think skydiving is better. You get a little more endorphins and a bigger jolt. <laughs> I still have to try that. I want to want to give that a shot one of these times. They said. uh Carpenter's Arms, which is a rehabilitation center and homeless shelter in Longboro, launched the scheme last year. It was the idea of Brian Spence, who runs the center and is also a qualified dive instructor, as a way of showing users they can get a thrill out of life without needing drugs. So far, seven people have benefited from the project. It was entirely funded by donations of equipment and money. Carpenter's Arms was set up in 2009. He said scuba diving helps them achieve so much, and it gives them focus. It gives them a buzz, but shows them they can still experience a real thrill without being high on drugs and booze. It's Uh, quite interesting. The part down here I thought was good is uh, where Brian is pretty strict, fail a drugs or booze test, and there's simply no way you get to go diving. That's the rule. So it's not, they're not coddling them from that aspect. No, well, there's all sorts of bad things that can happen if you're on drugs and you're scuba diving, so it's good that they're doing the tests. I would like, though, to see what kind of success rate they have. Well, they've only had eight divers so far, uh, and I don't they don't give any numbers of is that all eight still doing it, or uh, one of them said, I loved it straight away. I've now done an open water dive in Scotland. I'm diving in Stone Cove Dive Center with Brian and some of the other guys. I really want to continue and pass to various qualifications. That individual has now become a youth worker and visits schools to deter young people from taking drugs and alcohol. So these guys weren't, you know, just light-time drug offenders. Uh, that gentleman, Mark, was 41 and had been addicted to heroin and crack for 20 years. 31-year-old Dan had been battling a heroin addiction. So if you want to see more about the program, it's www.carpenters-arms.org. Excellent program. I think anything that, that gets people into scuba diving is good. It gets them out of something bad. Then we've got reef numbers games. 
Uh, this one's out of Florida. Back in the 60s, University of Miami was doing uh, a survey, and they recorded 517 species of fish around the alligator reefs. They said it was the greatest number recorded in any one place in the Americas at that time. Following decades of human and natural impacts, the coral ledge topped by lighthouses, uh, scientists and divers have gone back and resurveyed. Let's see, they say, they say, is it up or down? It's which up or down? Well, they, they did, if they had 517 back then. Yeah. You know, what are they seeing now? He said, uh, it's basically people, it's volunteers who are there training on how to do these surveys. They said in a dive, they did a count of 117. So counting fish is like birding, but not. With birding, you're there, you're there with binoculars with the fish. You get to see them close up. So 117 species they had, they found in their dive. I don't think I could name 100 fish. No, that would be the challenge for me. I mean, it'd be an educational event. Yeah. Yeah, they said that they uh, are putting together fish ID booklets and waterproof pencils and a checklist to help them out. You know, the, the, the key word, actually a couple come to mind to me is alligator, shark. Now, which one are you more afraid of? Alligator. Me too. That's and the other one is it's reef off of, how do you pronounce that word? Alligator reef off of? Alligator reef off Isla Morada. I-S-L-A-M-O-R-A-D-A. I don't know. Morada. Isla Ramada. Yeah, I'm not sure. Because I thought we're talking salt water, and I was curious about alligators and salt water. I, just one of those tangents my mind does. Yeah, I, I think alligators will go in salt water. I think they'll do... Uh, I don't. I mean, I don't think they're out. It's not like saltwater crocs where they're right out in the saltwater. I think they're more in the rivers where it can get brackish, really briny, brackish. Yeah. Uh, Upper Key Sanctuary Preserve is one of the spots. That'd definitely be a challenge, and it would be educational. Yep, I'd be up for it. Long drive. Well, that's one item now that Sass uh, Aquatics there in Battle Creek. A couple of their classes last year was learn the fish that are around you. I'm even up for that. I mean, most of the fish I know about from around here, the ones that came on the end of a fishing line. That's like people ask, what kind of fish you see? And I say, well, they're long, shiny, or they're fat. You know, it's like, you know, obviously, you know, some fish, things like this, and, you know, uh, carp, everybody knows catfish. But there's got to be some unique ones out there. It's like, I have no clue. Well, what I've done, and, and Jim Kleem and I have talked about this before, is sometimes when you dive in these ponds, I like to just settle on the bottom there for a second and then see what will come up. And there's so much tiny fry and small fish and water bugs that I'm sure if you took some time, there there's a, an amazing number of them. But oh, yeah. Yeah, that's another reason to get some more cameras because that's what I need to do is take some photos of them and then look them up and go, oh, that's what that is. It's kind of like a, when I was real young, my parents were into bird watching. And before you started, it seemed like there were robins and crows and blackbirds, and that was about it. And blue jays, always no blue jays. Yeah, blue jays. But but once you got into it, in no time, any day of the week, you go out and in five minutes spot 25, 30 different species. Yeah, you get to know the species, and like just like you said, once you've got an interest, it's amazing what is out there. Yeah, yeah, and there'd be one where it might take you three to six months to find it. Then once you find it, you look around, you go, well, there it is, well, there it is, well, there it is. So a lot of things to see when you're in the water. But I do like the big steel fish that lay in the bottoms, or the wood ones. I like those catfish at least six foot long so you can ride them. <laughs> if you haven't done a rodeo on a catfish, you haven't lived. I haven't, so I'm up for that. We're, look, we're looking for that opportunity for you. Yeah. Now, I've got this one listed as a photo of the week, but uh, it's a little bit more than that. 
little quick article, and what it is, it says the dangers of 1836 diving apparatus. And it's it's a news press, a, a news release from the 1836 Chronicle, January. It says escape from suffocation. A tradesman in Black Man Street named Caston, carrying an occupation as a general dealer, had a narrow escape from suffocation a few days ago. After under singular circumstances, amongst some articles he had purchased at a sale was a diving apparatus to enable the wearer to remain underwater for a considerable time. Never having been a machine of a similar construction, Mr. Caston determined to try it in the first instance on terra firma, and for this purpose he drew the helmet and cap over his head. He then adjusted the part which fitted to the lower extremities. He, however, omitted the most essential part of the apparatus, namely a, a valve that admitted air into the portion that fitted over his head and face. This neglect nearly cost him his life, for when one of his servants entered the warehouse, Mr. Caston was discovered rolling on the floor, enveloped in the diving apparatus, apparently in great agony. The servant entered just in time to extricate his master. Lack of knowledge goes a long way, doesn't it? So, yeah, it's it's not something that's even been recent. I mean, this is 1836, people still doing things beyond their means with diving equipment. And if you survive, you'll learn. Yeah, I, I bet he didn't do that again. <laughs> not the same thing. Wow. And then a video of the week. I should have told you to make sure you watch this one before. This one is the day in the life of a crab trap. And actually, it's a crab net they had. And they, what they did is they put a GoPro camera on this crab net, and they dropped it down and videotaped it. And very interesting what you see. And they don't say whether they were in multiple locations or just one, but it seems like they everything possible. So they had this net. They threw a little bit of, I don't know what it is, like rotting fish on it, and they drop it to the bottom. And the sound, it's worth it just for the sounds. A lot of sea life down there, isn't there? Yeah, they had. You know, fish came down right away. They said it was a western, likely western-striped gunter. Then they had blue swimmer crabs. Ha! Huh. Then they had sharks, skates, and rays made an appearance. And then they had a uh, dolphin at one point in the video. I saw the bat ray in there. Yeah, there's a few of them that come in. Now, I'm surprised that you didn't talk about the two-headed whale. Yeah, I saw that one. That one really, I don't, I, I posted it on, if you follow us on Scoop It or Twitter, you can see that one. Our Twitter account is at Scoob Obsessed. But I don't know, that just didn't, I don't know, just didn't do it for me. But you, you're welcome to talk about it if you'd like. Oh, I just I just noticed a picture. I was going through AOL and there's this two-headed whale. I thought, I don't think I've ever heard of seeing one and that's my first case of beer. Yeah, well, what had happened is this was, uh, they, they think it was stillborn. So it probably didn't live much after being born, and they were conjoined. So hence the the two headedness of it, and it washed up on the beach, and it was two heads. So certainly different. Now, if you mummify it and put it in a museum, then it would be interesting. It but would it, be. <laughs> but everything has that. I'm, I'm, what I'm surprised is that somebody hasn't come across and said it's uh, the result of the uh, reactor problems in Japan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because it seems like you. Somebody's always got to come up with something on that. Yeah. But, yeah, it's, uh, I bet we're going to see more of these cameras on objects underwater. It's just so much accessible. Uh, we've got the Consumer Electronics Show going on in Vegas this week, and I noticed that there's a lot more. It's like waterproof cameras have become a thing. So they have one camera. I say camera. It's actually a video camera. It's the size of dice, and it's waterproof to, uh, I think it was 10 feet, which would be about 3 meters. And my thought is something that small would be very easy to manufacture a an underwater housing for it. 
You would think so. Yeah, because you could, you know, if I'm not not sure how long it would charge, but you could mill out some sort of billet. You know, we know people with that type of equipment then have some sort of screw-on lens slash housing cover. Because to me, I like the idea of something that's waterproof going inside a housing. Because I guess in my simple mind is if it's waterproof, water resistant to a certain depth, then it seems like a little bit of moisture getting in there isn't going to kill it. So, yeah, we're going to see a lot more of these coming up. So that, oh, wait, wait, wait. Uh, oh, no, you got the last item. I forgot maybe. the last one. This is the best one of all. Yes. This was the potentially cool scuba gear. And actually, I had to answer somebody on Twitter, and they go, "This is, is this real? And all I can say is I wish. <laughs> so this is from Yanko Designs, and it's called Scuba Breath. And you see this from time to time where, where industrial designers will mock up different devices just to get some PR and that they hope they get hired. But what he's done is uh, just imagine that if you watch a James Bond movie, and I can't remember which one it was, where he had the little breathing apparatus. So you've got your, your mouthpiece, and then it looks like two little handlebars coming off to each side. And it's basically an electronic type of gill system where it's harvesting, it's separating oxygen from the water, and then it's compressing it into a tank using a, a micro battery, and then you breathe it in. So to me, this is obviously something that doesn't currently exist. And I'd like to think someday that it would actually exist, but I don't think it will. I was looking at some of the comments on it, and it says, while you're dreaming, wish for world peace and then end the hunger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the one thing is that there's not enough. So say you had a really effective gill system. So I'm going to say that each of these, if you imagine a broom handle about four inches long, two of them, one coming off each size, I don't think that's enough gill area to be able to separate enough oxygen that you'd be able to get a breath as I remember, I believe I had seen a patent application late the 1800s for an artificial gill system. And interesting as heck from the aspect, you can't be able to do what they were trying to do then now. And it's similar to what you're looking at here, only much, much, much larger because of the surface area. Yeah. The second one was a hypothetical uh, patent. And I don't know how you can patent ele- or a, um, a medical procedure. But this was a doctor indicating that you could also take this and go into the carotid arteries on both sides through the backpack, pump the blood, and oxygenate the blood. Therefore, you didn't have the pressure aspect. It, it was quite interesting, but you figure in the 18, late 1800s to talking about artificial gills and oxygenating blood, the only problem with the one part is once you got that in there, you're, you're sort of stuck. It's hard to get it back out in yeah. the artificial gills that you cut in through your carotids. Well, this <laughs> sounds like a crackpot, but see, that makes more sense than this. I mean, this is a, a very neat idea, mm-hmm. but I just don't, I know what I breathe in, and there's just not enough volume. I mean, would that have to be 20,000 PSI for that, for a size of the <laughs> container that you'd, I mean, it would. Yeah, freaking nuclear bomb. <laughs> yeah, it would just be it just be a huge amount. So you just, there's just not enough. I mean, that's why when you look at rebreathers, they got the counter lung because you really don't you're not you don't need that much oxygen, but you need to be you need to have that breath. So maybe that's what really what this is missing is that if you did it more as a rebreather where they had some sort of counter lung that you were exhaling into. Right, because one of the comments here is that this just screams psychological hurdles, starting with oxygen toxicity. Yeah. 
but still very interesting. Yeah, and and what it was meant to for is he's an industrial designer and you know show how he does his his uh, diagrams and finishes and stuff. So if it didn't have to work, it's really great. And yeah, World Peace too. Sign me up for that. Now, how much would one of these be worth? Say this did work. A lot. That would be interesting, though. How much would you pay? Heck, I can't afford a regular rebreather. I know I can afford that. <laughs> yes. Well, it would be convenient, though, wouldn't it? Especially yeah. if, it was, if it was tech rated. God, twenty. Talk about talk about pressure. I mean, that now you're now you got a hundred thousand psi. <laughs> well, if you were a submariner, it'd be nice to have. At least you'd have something you could escape with. Or at least bite down as you're having uh, convulsions. Okay, well, that does do it for the news this time. So you get any, since last week, you get any diving in? Only into the snowbanks. <laughs> it's not that I didn't try, but I couldn't get a single soul to go out there, even to hold my line. Something about, minus 40, are you freaking crazy? I don't know if that had anything to do with it. Well, the, the thing is, it was warmer underwater. <laughs> well, it would have been for me. <laughs> yeah. That's why I couldn't find the tender. No, there's something about it. Mm. Yeah, I couldn't even find one for this weekend, so I'm going kayaking, man. You know, I, I thought about it, but I've got company coming to town. A friend of mine's having surgery, so before he goes under the knife and becomes bionic, uh, he's going to come over, him and his wife and family. Well, so, I, I hear the Dwajak River has open water, so I'll be very curious because I know the St. Joe is freaking frozen. Now, when they call open water, is that downstream from the waste treatment plant? No, 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 Dwajak River, <laughs> as opposed to Nile, uh, down the Niles. Sir Larry never went out on uh, Christmas Day or New Year's Day since we couldn't find a dive anyplace else. Yeah. He went kayaking, so I'm going to this weekend. Yeah. Well, it's supposed to be fairly 35. Warm. It's going to yeah. be 35 degrees. Yeah, so we we had, just so we can, if we ever listen to this again, we remember, I had negative 17 going into work, was it two days ago? I didn't, I, I had to work from home Monday. And I'm glad I did because that would have been insane. Tuesday was nuts as well, and I did go into work. I was going down the road, and it, they had actually plowed. Like maybe five minutes before I left my home, they had plowed. And I thought, ah, oh, this is going to be great because usually if they plow my road, then the rest of them are pretty good shape. And I was following where the plow had gone. I didn't actually see the plow. But he turned off on a side road, and the road I was on went from plowed to a two-track <laughs> And I was kind of committed to that point, so I had to drive until I found a driveway that was plowed I could turn in and head back. So it I is cool. I think you posted that one picture where the truck was blocking your way out. Oh, yeah. That was, that was at work. I get to work, and about 10 minutes in, somebody goes, oh, there's just an accident out front. A, a, tr a truck slid off the road. We look out. That's not a truck. That's a semi. It had jackknife and blocked the intersection, which is the only way out of where I worked. Uh, he, they, they had him pulled out in about 20 minutes, though. Didn't take him long. That was one of those, oops, I think he was trying to make the turn. It, it's a downhill, it's kind of a steep downhill there. Mm -hmm. And then he was turning to go back uphill. And with it being icy, he just a, a classic jackknife maneuver. And snow and blowing. I, I want to say we probably only had 24 inches of snow altogether, but it did drift up. Imagine if we had, because my kids can't comprehend the, the blizzard we had in 77, 78. Because this was just a mini thing, and they actually called it a blizzard. This is probably about a quarter of the snow we had then. Yeah, we had one like that in '68, uh, also. Yeah, I, well, I I don't remember that. I remember my parents talking about it because I was a baby, probably about six months old at that point. <laughs> and uh, they were on the highway, and the highway stopped, 
and they had to walk off the highway to a hotel and stay there overnight and then come back the next day and they had plowed the shoulder so people could get out of the way. But it was like it went from a highway to a parking lot. Of course, there's some photos of 94 looking like that yesterday. Yeah. The, the problem is that the salt's not working and people don't realize it and they're just driving like nutcases. Yeah. If you don't have a little dirt, you're not getting to the intersection. No. Oh, yeah, all there through Stevensville. That just polished each of those. And I always well, give about eight feet in front of me because I'm afraid the guy behind me is not going to stop. Yeah. It'll be interesting this uh, weekend when it gets to 35, give this a chance to get some of the intersections cleaned up. Yeah. Yeah, I really don't want it to all melt away. I prefer for the snow just to stay on the ground until we actually get to real spring. Yeah. But I would like to see some dry pavement for a little bit. So kayaking and no diving. Oh, yeah. I have to say, I don't know if my blood can handle diving at this point. I'm trying to get myself psyched up. Well, we still got that tentative ice dive on the 25th. If we can get enough people who would like to participate. 25th. Well, it's a Saturday. It's a Saturday. Saturday after dive club meeting. Okay, I think I'm going to have to put that one in my calendar. I think that one, because I have to do an ice dive. I love doing an ice dive. Singer Lake would have been a good one for this weekend. Are you available? Well, nobody else would go. Were you available this weekend? Uh, Sunday, uh, maybe, possibly on Sunday. I can't Saturday, but Sunday. You got a chainsaw? I got a chainsaw. Yeah. Yeah, if it's if it's longer than my chainsaw, then we're in trouble. <laughs> no, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> How's Mr. Plea doing? Uh, he, he's doing better. He's doing better. He's uh, ended up working. I think he, he had to, with the weather, took a few days off this week. So he's probably a little antsy. He's been out plowing. But uh, I think this weekend he's in Chicago. Uh, one of those tool man meetings. And we're, we're going to have to get Steve Lewis on here. I see that he's got a book that's just going to the printers now. I also saw that Jill Heinerth, she had a book that's just going to the printers. So a lot of diving scuba publications are going to be out this year. So need to book some guests. Well, we've got to figure out who is going to go to Our World Underwater because you're talking about 15th of February. How many not, people are scheduled to go? Yeah, not I'm long at all. Before you know it, I'll be here. Yeah, I just got a bad feeling I'm going to be traveling for work. It's kind of fallen that way. I've got people coming in town next week, and then I'll that usually runs a cycle. The following month, I'll be out. So, mm-hmm. but I'm going to try. I I'm I'm due to hit it this year. So at this point, I'm a tentative yes. And then you got uh, Great Lakes. You got the seahorses on the 22nd of February. Yep, I may do that one. I'm not sure yet. Yeah. And then you mentioned the was it Ohio one. Right in March, that's the that'll be the 15th. I'm I'm thinking about that one. Yeah, it's going to depend. We're in March. We may be in the diving weather again. What do you mean? We're in the diving weather all year. <laughs> well, I should say open, no ice, river diving. Are right, you talking salt water? No, we soft. did. No, I'm not going to do salt water. Soft water. Oh, soft water. Yes, yeah, certainly. I still want to beat our record of being on Havana. <laughs> I have to. I have to go back and look at that because at the time it didn't seem so insane as it d- does now. After trying to duplicate that early out to Havana, we just have not been able to do it since. In fact, we've usually been about six weeks later. Let's see here. Got anything else you want to plug? Uh, just those two events in February because that's key items. Yep. As always, you can follow us on our website www.scubaobsessed.com. The Mud Club is mudclub.scubaobsessed.com. We're on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash scubaobsessed. And on Google Plus, www.google 
facebook.com forward slash plus scuba obsessed and on twitter at scuba obsessed and all our other links you can probably get to from one of those properties i got to update the website again i'm i'm already a couple weeks behind and i have no excuse because i i've had days off i was on on vacation for a full two weeks and i couldn't get it updated it's hard to get motivated sometimes and i'm gonna have to do do something about uh some funding because i did some calculations on how much I'm spending on this, and I could have had a really nice dry suit <laughs> for the money I've I've done on uh, some of this other stuff. So, but it's been enjoyable. Hopefully, everybody's enjoying it. Let us know, and sh- you can show your appreciation by doing a five star review on iTunes. Also, you can go to Talk to you for show seven three seven five nine, and I'd like to thank the WRVO Radio Network for having us on the air. And I think it takes us to that time of the show. I am anxiously awaiting. Okay. A man wakes up in the middle of the night, discovers his wife is not breathing. He grabs a phone, calls 911, explains the problem to the dispatcher. What's your address, she asks. 1714 Eucalyptus Street, he replies. Can you spell that, she inquires. After a pause, the man says, how about I take her over to Oak Street and you can pick her up there. See, he couldn't. The... I couldn't either. <laughs> I'm actually reading it, and I, I'm not sure I would ever be able to spell eucalyptus. Of course, now that I mention it, I don't know if I've ever heard of a eucalyptus street, actually. Now that you mention it. So, until next time, go out there and get wet. And stay safe. Recording has been completed.